Hi, this is Zach Semke with PassFast Accelerator, and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the PassFast podcast, recorded at Passive House Network's 2023 conference in Denver, Colorado. And a big thank you to Enersign for the support of the series. The interview you're about to hear was hosted by Ilka Cassidy, co-host of the PassFast podcast. Hi, this is Ilka Cassidy with the Passive House Accelerator podcast, and we are in Denver at the Passive House Network conference, and I'm here with Prudence. And I'm here with Prudence because I want to talk about modeling hmm. um, and modeling tools that practitioners use these days and how they use them. And I don't know if you remember, but you were teaching me Woofie. About hmm. 10 or over 10 years ago. So you're actually my first energy modeling teacher. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So, uh, yeah, can you introduce yourself and sure. tell us what you're up to these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Prudence Ferreira, and I have been doing Passive House now since, oh, my goodness, 2008, I think. And... I started using the PHPP at the very beginning, and then with the advent of Woofy, I can't remember what year that was, switched over to modeling and, and Woofy. Yeah. But um, I didn't come to Passive House as a newborn babe. I had some other energy modeling <laughs> experience before that. Uh, right now, um, I am leading the Passive House practice for Thornton Tomasetti. We're a firm of about 1,500 people and 50 offices around the world. And uh, most of my work is focused on the East and the West Coast right now, because that's where things are happening. But every once in a while, there are opportunities like meeting folks here in Denver to, to think about expanding and helping in places where they don't have a lot of expertise yet. So. I focus primarily on large-scale buildings, uh, multifamily, but also non-residential, and some unique typologies. Um, schools, looked at some lab-type spaces, and occasionally get asked to consider Passive House for healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, schools also. Um, there's a project right now on my desk that's for a factory of the future, wow. which has 3D printers. And yeah, there's just all kinds of really interesting stuff that comes up. However, um, with interesting projects comes the need for flexible modeling tools. And one size doesn't necessarily fit all and when you have um, buildings that are behaving in ways that are different from typologies you're used to looking at, you often don't know how to use rules of thumb yet. So I still feel like when you can, uh, rules of thumb are great, but the rules of thumb, of course, come from modeling experience. Yeah. <laughs> so. One of the things, I guess if we start sort of on the really basic end of modeling and go all the way towards the, the complex end, 
there's a bunch of different ways you can use the tools that we have and new tools that are emerging. What would you like to hear about? Well, I think, so I, I, I guess as a Passive House uh, consultant or practitioner, typically, or I always thought that modeling tools are basically to get through certification, mm. right? But they're just so much more. They can become communication tools as well to convey information to team members or mm -hmm. to, to clients or, um, yeah, I, I'm just curious, what are the tools and how do you use them differently than what they were actually initially designed for? Oh, that's a great question. I love that. Thinking outside the box. <laughs> yeah. If we start with the Passive House compliance tools, PHPP and Wifi Passive, They both have their pros and cons um, for early modeling. Um, and that's one of the things, actually, that we use those tools for. Um, these days, I, I don't use PHPP a whole bunch, uh, probably because we don't, we don't have, we have mostly FIAS projects. So every once in a while, I do, though, and I remember how much I love Excel, because you can just create your own calculators and, you know, have them talk to the, the tabs within PHPP, and that's, that's really fun. Make your own graphs. And so um, when I was preparing for the, the session that I gave here at the conference on, on the first Passive House Public School in the States in Brooklyn, I went straight to the PHPP and I mined the data to use as a communication tool for this audience to help them understand, okay, how is this building's profile different from something else you might see, like a multifamily building? And when you understand the profile of a building and can, can communicate that, if you have more than one of them, then you start to see patterns, right? And then when you have patterns, you can make rules of thumb and then you don't have to model anymore. So that's one, that's one thing that we use um, the, the PHPP for and that I just used it for recently. Woofy Passive, I actually use it a lot for really quick kind of down and dirty feasibility studies on any kind of building that comes across my desk. And there are lots of projects that are, I would say, Passive House curious, right? They're yeah. like, well, we've heard about this. Like, what would it look like for our building to do this? And there are ways that you can use Woofy Passive to, you know, put in some base code R values and put in some base code air tightness and ventilation and see where it lands and use that as a baseline model to communicate with the client like, okay, this is where your building is. And it's much faster in a way than building out a whole eQuest model or a whole um, Energy Plus model, those are the two tools that we use for dynamic modeling on my team now. Um, we also, we do shoebox models um, every once in a while, and those are more, those are actually like not even software tools sometimes. They're almost like tabulated spreadsheets that just go to a shoebox model. Um, but the thing that I think is most important these days as our design professionals get up to speed with what low carbon buildings mean is early design analysis, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really where those passive house compliance tools sing because they are simplified. You don't have to put a ton of information in to get something back out. 
Now, when we use them as compliance tools, we have to put a lot of information in there. We have to be very accurate, but they can very easily be repurposed for early design studies. And the thing that's also great about them is it's very easy to create multiple cases and, and compare and contrast. Um, <clears throat> so that's probably the... That's probably the most frequent non-intended use. Yeah, yeah. Um, every once in a while, I'll get a project where um, it's a passive house project and they want to go back and compare it to what baseline code would have been, but using the same model. And so sometimes we'll do that as well. And, and actually, um, Woofy Passive is ASHRAE 140 compliant, which means you could use it for incentive programs to create a baseline and compare it to a proposed. So you can you can use that to get incentive money. Um, so that's sort of a maybe a non-intended yeah, yeah. use of it as well. Um, How about the outputs? Because I know Woofy, once you really just go on print reports, yep. there are a lot of pages. There are. <laughs> and a lot of information, which is great. But a lot of times, clients that just want to see where they are, it's, it's kind of almost too much information. Mm -hmm. Do you use the data that you get out of Woofy and prepare them in a different way to present to clients or team members? Absolutely. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we will use those reports occasionally, and those are important, you know, especially for jurisdictions that are incentivizing passive house, but you're right. They're There's a lot of in-between pages where it's looking at every single window and all the transmission losses of every single wall. You don't need all of those. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll just pull images out of the Woofy Passive reports because you can print them to Word documents. And all those images are right there. You can copy-paste them into PowerPoints or whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but sometimes still we'll just mine data out of the model as well and make our own, make our own graphics or infographics out of that stuff too. But when you're in a hurry, it is really nice to know that that Woofy passive report, for any building typology, whether it's passive house or not, that you put into Woofy passive, you can get colorful charts and graphs out of it, Yeah, yeah. which is a nice feature. Um, the other tools that we use, I mentioned eQuest and Energy Plus, and most of the, most of the projects that we work on, um, because they are large and they're a little bit more complex, they all have those dynamic hourly models. And one of the things that we're finding is when you're working on similar typologies, you may have, if you're an expert energy modeler, those rules of thumb in your head, and you can try to pass those on to new folks that are coming into the industry, but it's not in their head. They, mm -hmm. don't, they don't know what the EUI of a low energy school should be. They don't know it should be 30. So one of the things that we're starting to experiment with now um, at Thornton Tomasetti is using artificial intelligence to help with early design modeling and to suggest energy conservation measures that make sense for a particular typology in a particular climate. And that will cut that early design modeling, well, probably in third, and even in later phases of design development may also be helpful for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to parametric modeling, yeah. right? Because yeah. there's, always, there's always more than one path to get somewhere, and if you know what your constraining factors are, okay, well, our constraining factor is emissions, or our constraining factor is the amount of heat the building is going to need per year. You can ask 
machine learning or artificial intelligence to help you find all of those combinations of energy conservation measures that will get you there quickly without needing to take the processing power to run hundreds of thousands of different combinations. Wow, that's that's super interesting. Yeah. So are there specific building typologies that you're intending to use that for? I mean, it's probably not going to make sense for... You probably don't work on single-family homes, for example, no, right? So it's all a bit large-scale. Yeah, it, it's a really good question. We don't work on single-family homes. We definitely do a lot of work on schools, and there's you know, some similar attributes that come with schools. Um, we definitely work on a lot of life sciences-type projects, labs, and healthcare-type stuff. Not Passive House yet, but maybe soon. <laughs> um, and then... Lots of institutional, you know, like higher ed type projects where it's either student housing or it's classroom office kind of stuff. So those are really the main typologies that we work on again and again and again. So it's really just, you know, starting, starting with one, doing some beta testing to make sure that the AI is actually returning results that make sense and then piloting. And, and seeing how it works and then moving to a different typology and trying again. So then if you send it through AI, AI I mean, basically at first you say, okay, this is my parameter, which I want to meet. And right. then you send it through AI and you get so many different outputs, basically. Mm-hmm. But you still have to go through and see which one makes sense. Or do you set the parameters right from the beginning in a way where you only get results that actually are feasible? Yeah, that, that's a very good question too. So it's, um, there's a, definitely a few different inputs that need to happen when you're working with AI or machine learning. First, you have to, you have to teach it. Yeah, yeah. So you have to have a lot of data to put into the learning process. And then the, the AI will look at all that data, establish what the patterns are, establish what the correlations are, and then, you know, that sort of background information. The other part of doing parametric modeling and figuring out, okay, what are the, the energy conservation measure combinations that are going to be the most impactful? If you have experience you can start by only giving limited ranges to the inputs. So, for example, the levers for any low-carbon building is going to be the same as it is for passives, right? It's going to be, well, air sealing. It's going to be, you know, what is your solar heat gain? What is the U-value of your glazing? What's the U-value of your opaque envelope? What about air tightness? Did I mention that already? It's very important. (laughs) Um, the coefficients of performance of your mechanical system. So if those are the levers that you can push and pull, if you already narrow those margins and you only give ranges that you know would work for that building typology, you're already going to cut down on the amount of results that you get back. But that's the second part of the machine learning process is you get back this huge data set then you can strain the data set and say, okay, I only want the combination of results that are going to be at this level of emissions or at this level of overall EUI. You feed that information back to the model and say, all right, these are the ones that actually result in that low EUI for this typology. Mm-hmm. Then the next time it goes to run a simulation, it won't even bother with the outliers. It'll just go straight to 
those types of measures that yeah. that were within the range of the end constraining factor you were looking for. And then part of those those levers could also be material choice, right? If your yeah. your goal is to lower not only the operational car carbon but also the embodied, embodied. carbon. Yep. You just set your your levers or your parameters to certain material use, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting part of it though. I'm not sure. I don't think we're necessarily at least the project my team is working on. I don't think they're looking at LCA type data yet. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's definitely coming because we we're just seeing LCAs really increase in importance. Actually, California now is making that code. They're requiring all new buildings to do LCA assessments. Yeah. So it's definitely coming down the pike. The other thing um, that I want to mention, and it's a little bit different type of model, um, but model nonetheless is thermal bridging. Because as the codes ratchet up in their um, rigor, um, what we're seeing right now, we're seeing it in New York and we're seeing it in Massachusetts, they're actually requiring all projects to account for thermal bridges. So it's not just the passive house nerds that have to do it anymore. <laughs> it's everyone. And so um, we use Rhino in our office, and we also use Grasshopper and Ladybug tools. Um, and those can be pretty powerful tools along with Python scripting where you can set up parametric thermal bridge modeling. So you model the details in Rhino, you send them through Grasshopper, you have communication through Python out to Therm, and then you give it a set of parameters and say, okay, well, I want you to vary the amount of insulation on this detail here by this much, um, and just let it run through its iterations, and then you can understand much more quickly instead of just nose to the grindstone and Therm, what the impact is going to be and where the sweet spot is, mm -hmm. right? So if you're looking at both thickness and length of insulation, say, for example, it's on a concrete footing or mm -hmm. something, you can very quickly dial in what the best solution is going to be without yeah. needing to spin your wheels. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. Is that going to be available to others too? Right now, we it's just something that we, we created internally mm -hmm. for yeah. ourselves. I think, I mean... Somebody must be planning on, <laughs> on doing it. We do have a we have an arm called uh, TT Core that works on sort of tool and software and solution development internally. And every uh, year, actually, I think it might be twice a year, they have um, what they call a core innovation tournament. And you essentially go and you pitch your business plan for your tool that you want them to make. And they're really simplified business plans. You know, they give you like one sheet of paper and it's four quadrants. What is it going to do? Why do we need it? How much is it going to cost? What's, you know, what's the outcome? And they fund, you know, four or five of them every year and they actually develop them and then we use them. And some of those end up being available to the public through the, yeah, the TT Core yeah. is kind of the, the website that you can go to and see what tools are there. Yeah. Well, I'm really hoping that the, the Thermal Bridge tool is going to become available because... 
I feel like that's something, I mean, that I personally get asked so many times, like how much do, do insulation do I need under the steel column or, you know, to, to avoid thermal bridging. And it's not an easy task, task to just give an answer quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. You can always resort to the default conservative answer, which is, well, FIAS defines a thermal bridge concern as anything with less than R10 continuous insulation. It's got less than R10. They're going to look at it and they're going to scratch their chin and say, sure. do they need to model this? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, a lot of times it comes down to there's going to be an energy hit no matter what. Yeah. We just want to avoid condensation risk. Yes. That's, that's the important part, right? And, and I feel like that's a little more tricky to predict where that, it is. that you know, borderline is. So I yep. think a tool like the one that you just described would help immensely with making quick decisions because a lot of times these decisions just have to be made pretty quickly right yeah you're right they do it's not like you can go to your client and say okay well that's going to be an ad service and it's going to take me two days to give you a proposal and then i have to get the modeler lined up so it's going to be two weeks before we have an answer exactly exactly (laughs) Yeah. yeah the other tool Again, it's not a software tool, but it is a set of results from a very expensive software tool that nobody in the industry has except for one firm. (laughs) It's the tool called Siemens NX, and they use it in manufacturing, Um, but it does 3D thermal bridge modeling in a really beautifully graphical way. Yeah. There's a whole database that has been funded by um, utility in Vancouver, BC, BC Hydro. And all of the details were modeled by a firm called Morrison Hirschfield. And currently they have 666 assemblies and details um, in this database. And you can look at it um, at thermalenvelope.ca. And what's happening as some of these jurisdictions start requiring projects to account for thermal modeling as people are going to that as a reference. And what I am starting to tell my clients is before you even start thinking about details and before you even start conceiving what your enclosure fabric is going to be, go look at this database and get a sense of what's in there. And like, if you don't need to reinvent the wheel and you can use some great details that are already in there and design to that as a best practice, like you've eliminated a lot of work. And then the other thing about it is, at least in Massachusetts, with their stretch code, they're actually um, allowing that as a formal means of code compliance um, because thermal bridging is part of code compliance now. So if you have details that match what's in there in your project, you can use those 3D model details instead of having to model your own. That's great. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good tool where we can build on all of the modeling efforts of someone else. Yeah, I mean, it's good that it's there, and it's nice if it's shared widely. Yeah, well, anyone can go there. It's total public access, and I think they're continuing to add more details there, so. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, so maybe one last question. So what, what is your hope for the future in terms of how the AI is going to develop in terms of, um, you know, how it works with the modeling tools beyond what's already possible? That's a little, it's a bit of a tricky question, right? (laughs) I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, we're thinking about the, both the hopes and the dangers of AI. And, you know, there's going to be a transition where 
there's going to be less work done by us and more work done by computers. It's not necessarily a bad thing because there's not enough people in our industry anyways, especially for the amount of work that needs to be done in the built environment. So <clears throat> in that regard, I can kind of set aside the fears and say, maybe I'll lose my job or <laughs> I won't have someone on my team doing thermal modeling anymore or I won't need to charge a client to do early design analysis. Um, but my hope really is that we can use AI to aggregate best practices by typology and by climate so that we've got ready-made recipes already so that we can hit the ground running. We're not reinventing the wheel all the time. And really, the big challenge is going to be with retrofits. And I think that that's going to be a longer progression. You know, I think with new buildings, that, that could be pretty quick and fairly easy. But we have a lot of buildings to renovate. And so I hope that there's some kind of project that is a collaborative that can get funded where we look at different ages of buildings that all have similar conditions and similar situations, come up with solutions for those, allow um, AI to assist us in, again, putting together recipes. Yeah. And a database yeah. for everyone to yeah. access. Yeah. yeah. And then even, you know, doing off-site construction of panels to bring to the site, to put up on the buildings. And, yeah, yeah. we, we need help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have Thanks great, for the questions. Yeah. It's nice to chat with you. Yeah, have a great rest of the conference. Thanks, you too.